Welcome to the Book Club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host, where we read a book a week and then interview the author on topics such as business, real estate, and life. Today's guest is Minnie Jensen from Bigger Pockets. She has wrote the book on how to sell your home, the essential guide to a fast, stress-free, and profitable sale. She's an experienced real estate agent, investor, shares her countless tips, tricks, and tactics to help sell your home quickly and easily. Her practical real-world advice will help you turn your house into a buyer's dream and give you the know-how to sell your house for top dollar. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mindy. How are you doing today? I am doing really well. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you're more than um, willing to come on, so I really appreciate that as I just start out with another passion of mine. So welcome. <laughs> Um, I love I love talking about real estate. Oh, it's a passion we share, and, and definitely you know, bigger pockets is, is credited um, a lot of my successes. So I'm just um, I'm really excited to have you. I mean, the, just everything you do for the community, and um, it's it's real positive, and you're truly helping people out there. So I can't thank you enough. Uh, well, you're welcome. It is a passion project of mine too. It is. Uh, it it doesn't seem like work every day of the week. Awesome. That's good. Um, well, let's roll right into it. Uh, chapter one. So you have an introduction. Um, you wrote the book on how to sell your home, which which I think is is a very important thing because for most people, it's their largest investment. Um, it's their largest sale and buy of their, their life. So, of course, you want to have the best people on your team to sell your home. Um, so let's roll right into wanting to sell your home versus needing to sell your home. How does this direct the sales path? Well, so if you are looking to sell your house and you're not, you know, if you need to sell your house, like you are getting a cross country trip, you live in Connecticut and all of a sudden your job is now moved to San Francisco. You need to sell your home. If you wake up one morning, you're like, I just cannot look at this ugly wallpaper one more day. I have to get out of this house. I want to sell my house. Um, you have different needs, different timelines, and uh, it affects how you sell your house. When you're moving across the country, you are going to need to accept an offer sooner than later. So you you don't really need to hold out for an extra $1,000. Um, you, you shouldn't hold out for an extra $1,000. Uh, so you know, having, having a good need, having, having a strong need to sell your house, um, is different. It helps you accept a lower offer. It helps you accept, you know, really look at the offer and see what the contingencies are, see what sort of financing they're getting. You, the, the ultimate goal, anytime you put your house on the market is to sell it, but mm -hmm. you want the easiest sale possible. So you don't want something with a lot of contingencies, something with a lot of like ifs, you know, Oh, could this fall through? Um, you don't want weird financing or, you know, anything like that. Somebody just on the borderline of your property price is going to have a harder time qualifying than somebody who really hits all the the, the numbers. Um, so, you know, it helps you compare offers if you're in a multiple offer situation. Our current market where I live is ridiculously hot. So everything sells for over asking. There's a bidding war on everything. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's hard to decide which, which offer you want. And I tried to just share with people different things that they need to learn, different things they need to consider, uh, when looking at offers. That's amazing. I mean, you have a wealth of experience and in the book, um, I like to, you know, give real life examples and, you know, before, you know, I got real estate investing, it was kind of, it seemed really, uh, black and white, like you're playing a checkers game, but you really broke it down. Like it's, it's more of a chess game and there's certain pieces and in, in which path you choose has many, you know, you're, you're thinking five steps ahead, which is amazing. Cause, um, and, and you break it down so beautifully and it's so simple in the book, um, such as, you know, selling as an investor versus homeowner, um, you know, and, and let's go right into that. You know, let's just say I'm an investor. Um, you know, what are some common challenges, uh, you know, selling as an investor versus selling as a homeowner? Uh, so as an investor, the two main ways that you sell as an investor is either as a fix and flipper or as a landlord. Um, as a fix and flipper, your biggest challenge is going to get people to, uh, well, twofold, actually. Why is this house priced so much higher than it just sold for three, six months ago? Versus, uh, or And um, not every fix and flipper will stage their property. So if you have a weird space, if you have you know, a smaller area, it may look too cramped if you don't, if you do stage it and it looks 
like vacant and what am I going to do with this space if you don't stage it? Um, so as an investor, you need to think about like your end buyer. Um, what are they, what are they doing with this property? Make a list as a fix and flipper, make a list of all the things that you've done to upgrade this house. It's got a brand new kitchen. It's got all new electrical, especially make a list of things that aren't readily, uh, readily apparent. Like, you know, wow, it's got a brand new electrical box. Nobody knows that if you don't tell them that. And they probably don't even understand what that means if you do tell them. You know, all new plumbing. Well, great, I hope it has plumbing. But, you know, explain why this is a good thing. This is this is really important. It's got a brand new roof. It's got, you know, new paint is not going to sell the house. But, you know, highlighting all the things that you've done uh, versus an investor, uh, I'm sorry, a landlord who has, uh, you know, you have to consider, am I going to try to sell this with tenants inside? Am I going to wait until after the tenants get out? If you try to sell it with tenants, um, then you have to kind of work around their schedule. Um, there was a question in the bigger pockets forums the other day. My landlord tells me I have to do this and I have to do that because he wants to sell. No, your landlord might tell you anything he wants, but that's not true. You have the right to quiet enjoyment. And now his landlord has created this confrontational atmosphere and I'm like you could sit around in your underpants watching TV as loud as you want and <laughs> that is going to make buyers uncomfortable and they're going to leave and they're not going to buy it versus the landlord saying hey how about if I put you up in a hotel tonight so that I can show your property you know maybe I'll send a, a cleaning service over to help it really shine and you know can I take you out to dinner or just a couple of hundred bucks will make you want to help your landlord out. It makes you want to show your property. It just makes a better, you know, a better experience for everybody involved. On the other hand, if you don't have a tenant in the property, then you don't have to deal with any of that. You go in, you clean it once, you show it as many times as you need to to sell it, but you're not collecting any rent. So it's kind of a give and take what's the most important thing for you. Mm -hmm. But there's, I mean, there's ways around everything. Of course. And you just you come up with creative ideas to make the situation work. And I think that just shows your resourcefulness as an investor, um, which is what which I think is one of the, the key skills to, to possess. Um, now, let's go over to selling as a homeowner. And you break this down into chapter five, six and seven into three parts. You know, part one repairs, part two declutter, part three staging. So let's go right into part one repairs. So looks, smells and curb appeal. Is it real? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, oh, curb appeal. If you have the crappiest looking house on the block, it will still sell, but it's going to sell for less. And landscaping is not that hard to do. A few, a few flowers in a flower pot on the the porch, cutting back all the dead stuff, picking up all the twigs and leaves, and you know, depending on what season you're trying to sell in, spend a couple of hours in the front yard and tidy it up. One of the things that that I love as an investor and I hate as a, uh, a real estate agent selling for a, an owner occupant is a really crappy looking front yard because my, my, my owner occupant buyers will say, "Ugh, what a dump. I don't even want to go in my, my investor side is like, hoo hoo, that looks awesome. <laughs> yep. That looks like money. Uh, I've re-landscaped my entire front yard for less than $500. I mean, the entire thing. I cut down all the trees. I cut down all the, the these weird bushes that were overgrown. It had been a rental for a long time. So I, I cut down everything. Um, the trees were growing into the sewer. I feel like it's Earth Day today when we're recording this. So I feel like I should preface this by saying <laughs> the trees were causing damage and they were dying. And it wasn't just like, oh, I get rid of all the trees. Um, but for $500, I got a couple of loads of rocks. I got a bunch of plants that I live in Colorado. I got the xeriscaping plants and it just, it took a week to landscape it cause it was really hot and I didn't want to stay outside all the time. So I took a lot of breaks, but you know, it's, it's pretty easy to landscape. You dig a hole, put the plant in, put the dirt back in, cover it up with mulch or rocks or whatever. Like it's not that hard times like a thousand because I have a big front yard, but <laughs> You know, it's not that hard to do and it makes it look so much better. I get compliments every year because of how pretty my grass looks. How, or I'm sorry, not my grass. My grass looks terrible. How pretty my yard looks. Uh, I just put black plastic all over the grass. I've been trying to grow it forever and it doesn't work um, in Colorado. So, But natural plants, uh, it's, it's really easy to make the yard look 
decent and it's not that much harder to make it look really great. So, you know, start on the outside, make it look pretty. Um, give the front door a nice coat of paint. When you walk inside, look around at what looks dingy and dirty and, and you know, a, a repair, in my opinion, is also like painting. You know, you're repairing the dirty looking walls or whatever. And a fresh coat of paint is one of the cheapest things you can do to make your house really look beautiful. Um, it takes, what, a gallon per room, a gallon-ish per room, and $35. Always get the really good paint quality, the really good quality paint, excuse me. I painted with really crap paint once and it took like five coats. I did not save any money because I ended up buying, you know, twice as much paint. It just doesn't cover well. Go mm -hmm. with the Home Depot bare paint. I don't get any money from them. It's just a really great paint. Yeah, that is a great tip. <laughs> yep. You you learned your lesson once with some some bad paint. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, just in general, walk around the house and look and see what doesn't look great. You know, great. you need to make repairs. Make the repairs. You What have you been living with that somebody else will be annoyed by? Fix that. Well said. Yeah. First impressions. I mean, you, you hit it right on the head with that one. But it, it's funny. I love I love how you're wearing two hats as an investor and as an agent. That's great, though. You see that creative <laughs> eye. <laughs> um, so let's say we, we paint that fresh door. We're walking in the house. Um, so decluttering the house. So what's relevant to the sale? Uh, so one of the big things is to take away anything personal. If you've got a wall of pictures going up the stairs that's like all your family, take them down. Put one painting or, you know, two pictures of random stuff. Nobody is buying your family's pictures. Nobody is buying your decorations, your kids' artwork on the on the uh, refrigerator. They want to buy the house. So let the house shine and not detract from it by having all this stuff around. Um I saw one house, they had three couches in the, the regular size living room. And it was very cluttered looking, even though there wasn't a bunch of stuff on the couches, it was just very cluttered looking because there was so much stuff in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I do tell this story in the book. I walked into a house and literally every wall had a hundred paintings on it or paintings or pictures or like that Hobby Lobby decorative stuff. And I was walking around, I said, I really like the layout of the house because I can see past all this stuff, but I do not want to spend the next three months filling in nail holes and repainting everything. And it was like, it was really, I couldn't believe their agent didn't tell them to take all this stuff down. I mean, you're moving anyway, get a jump start on packing because nobody wants you to stay with them after they buy your house. Well said. Now, I don't know if you watched The Office at all on Netflix, but I just came across that episode last week where Jim bought his parents' house and that clown painting was like fixed to the wall. That's, <laughs> when you explain all those photos, that's great. <laughs> um, so any tips for, you know, decluttering the kitchen or bath? Because, you know, a lot of people talk about how those, you know, typically sell the houses, you know, the main feature. Um, so any tips you could give for someone, you know, selling a home and, you know, really make that kitchen or bath shine? Uh, yeah, actually, let's start in the kitchen and open up every cabinet. What are they seeing? If you have shopped at Costco and stocked up and you have just every inch filled, it looks like there's not enough storage space. If you open up your glass cabinet and it's got 500 glasses in there, first of all, you don't need 500 glasses. How many people are in your house uh, times two and then pack everything else away? Again, you're going to have to pack anyway. You're leaving this house, so get a head start on packing. When you open the cabinet and there's 10 glasses in there, oh, look at all this space. But you open the, the cabinet and there's 50 glasses in there, you're like, oh, am I going to have enough storage space for my stuff, even if you don't have 50 glasses? Um, so open up the cabinets. If you are not going to be able to eat all of that food, do you really want to move it? Like donate it to a food pantry or give it to your friends or, you know, start eating it, you know. I really think that you should start thinking down the road, especially if you want to sell your house versus needing to sell your house. You can look down the road and say, okay, I need to, I, I want to sell it in the next six months. Start going through all the cabinets, the refrigerator, the freezer, like everything and just get rid of food, uh, only buy what you need and start packing everything up. Uh, okay. Now close all the cabinets and look around the countertops. You can have one appliance. Maybe two if it's a really big kitchen. You want your countertops to look like there's nothing on them. So you can have a coffee pot. That's a normal thing. You can have a toaster if it's a big, but like your food processor, your blender, all of those things, tuck them under, pack them away, whatever. Hide them in some way 
and I mean, good luck hiding them because buyers go through everything. So mm-hmm. uh, it's you can't just like tuck it behind your bed because uh, they'll probably see it. But, <laughs> you know, get rid of it so the kitchen looks spacious because your kitchen sells your house. Um, your cabinets, make sure that they're clean. The outside, I don't know if you've ever seen a house where they've had oak cabinets for 50 years and there's like, oh, they never used the handle. They just grabbed it. There's this big, dark, like gross. I have two kids, so everything's dirty, but (laughs) like it's just gross. So wipe that down. That is, and sometimes that takes a little bit of elbow grease depending on how much dirt there is, but just, you know, wipe it down. You're, if you've got stainless steel or, you know, uh, well, if you have any sort of surface on your dishwasher or your oven, Make sure everything's clean because cleaning doesn't cost anything. But people walk in, they see something dirty, and they're like, oh, gross. What else is going to be disgusting? Uh, And nothing on the kitchen refrigerator. Okay. Nothing. Maybe a magnet, one magnet with like your real estate's name on it or whatever, your agent's name. But that's it. You don't want to have a ton of stuff cluttering it because it just looks busy and people don't want to see that. Um, Going into the bathroom. Take out all the towels. If you've got a little cabinet there, take out all the towels so you just have two or three. Make them look really nice. Even go out and buy nice towels that you put in there and then never use. Just you know, use your crappy ones and then like put those in the bed or store them in the washing machine or whatever. Um, but have it look nice and very spacious, the cabinet there. Nothing on the sink, nothing on the countertop. Uh, clean out the toothpaste from the sink, wash the mirror, clean the toilet, um, cover up the, put the shower curtain all the way out. Just make it look clean and nice and, you know, unstinky. <laughs> get a little, get a little air yep. freshener. So basically um, like before families coming over for Thanksgiving, Christmas, same roll call, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just want it to look nice. You want people to walk in and say, oh, Instead of walking in and saying, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And I think you touched on, you know, part three, staging a little bit. Um, you know, all, all you said so far was, you know, the front lawn, you, you maybe said 500 bucks and, you know, $35 per gallon of paint and a couple elbow grease. That's not a lot. And it sounds like it goes a, a far way, you know, when bringing clients through your home. So, you know, is staging worth it and, and can you do it yourself? Um. Depending on your market, staging is usually worth it. There is a house in my market right now. I think they priced it too high to begin with, and it's been sitting in a market that nothing ever sits in. They came in and they staged it really, really well. They had it all vacant, and it it was they had like some weird spaces that you're like, oh, what do I do with that? Um, I think now that it's staged, it looks a lot better, but they should have started off staging. Uh, They did it professionally. You don't have to bring in all new furniture, especially if you're the owner occupant still living there while you're trying to sell it. You just want to make it look nice. Like think of your grandma's house. Even if the house is outdated, it's still clean. It's still tidy. All of the things are put away and you walk in, you're like, oh, it's like that white carpet is 20 years old, but it looks brand new because she takes care of it. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter that your house is outdated it's obviously not going to sell for a brand new updated house price but having a clean house trumps so much of the outdatedness great and there's a there's a buyer for every house interesting yeah let's talk about weird spaces i heard you mention a few times so let's say you have a weird room what what's your expert opinion and how to stage it is there like a typical weird room that you see no, that's the problem. Weird rooms are just like this random thing. And you're like, oh, what do I do with this? Um, so, you know, really take a look at it and say, what would I do with this room? Or what do you do with it? If you're, if it's your house, you're trying to sell, you know, what do you do with that room? Oh, that's our spare bedroom. Great. Then make it up as a spare bedroom, make it up as a baby's room, especially if it's really small, borrow a crib from somebody, uh, put a couple of baby toys in there. If they don't, your buyers don't need to know that you don't have a baby. All your kids are teenagers. Well, great. But, you know, weird spaces need to be, you need to give buyers an idea of what they can do with it. So an office is always a good go-to, a reading nook, like a comfy chair, a couple of low bookshelves. Um, And I mean, even then you don't have to spend a lot of money on them. Go to Ikea, go to Target and just get some small little thing or ask your friends if you can borrow some of their furniture for a few weeks to, you know, show this off. Um, 
it again, clean and tidy is the name of the game. You don't want to overwhelm people with things. Um, so a baby's room is a really good one. An office, a reading nook, uh, a playroom, kids games. Um, if you're, you know, are you in a great school district? Do are you are you looking to attract families, or are families like generally attracted to this neighborhood anyway? Then you know, go with more of like the kids' room or the the play area. Here's where we keep all our board games. I mean, you can go to the thrift store and buy 50 board games. It doesn't matter that there's no pieces in it if you just are stacking it up to stage. They're like a dollar. Yeah. Oh, those are then great you drop them off at the you drop it off at the thrift store when you're done. There you go. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> Uh, now, do you, so, you know, and it, it sounds like you're a great agent. You're, you're definitely someone I would look for in my market. Um, is that, is that how you advertise yourself? Do you, do you tell people, you know, this is the skill set I have and do you, you know, recommend and work with them through staging the property? Um, staging is actually not my best suit. So I recommend, you know, I can walk through the house and say, okay, let's clean this up. Let's, let's tuck this away. Let's, you know, do all of this. And I can recommend a, a lot of decluttering ideas, but for staging, um, I will, I'll give them some ideas for what they can do. And then I have somebody I can recommend if they would like to, you know, go full on. Um, I, I haven't used a lot of staging services personally. I mean, a lot of people, you know, it's just, it, this is where you live. The way you live is most likely the way that other people are going to live too. Okay. Yeah. No, great. Um, and moving on to, you know, chapter eight, disclosure statements. Very large ah, topic. <laughs> I love it in the, in the book, the my examples. My favorite. <laughs> the snake house versus the spider house. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so. A lot of people are afraid of the disclosure statement. Oh, if I tell people that there's been water in the basement, they're never going to buy the house. Well, okay, so then lie to them and tell them that there's never been water or just check the box. No, there's no water in the basement. And then the, when they get water three days after they move in, they're going to sue you. If you tell them ahead of time, hey, we've had water issues. Are you still getting water issues? We're still getting water issues. Then they either don't buy the house, which is better than being sued, or they do buy the house and then they've already acknowledged that you've disclosed it so they can't sue you. So instead of looking at it as, well, now nobody's going to buy the house, look at it as now nobody's going to sue me because I've disclosed all the issues. Uh, you mentioned the snake house. The snake house was purchased out of foreclosure. The banks don't have any obligation to tell you anything about the house because they didn't live there. They don't know, you know, they're not, I don't really think that they're purposely trying to mislead you. I think they just have a thousand houses they're trying to sell. They can't know everything about every single one. Of course, yep. These people bought the house, they moved in and it was, it was built on top of like a winter snake hibernating. It was, ugh. which I don't even know is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> The water tasted funny. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing either because I'm not into snakes at all. Their water tasted funny. There were snakes all the time in the house, around the outside. Like they just had snakes. I think they, what it was like, a thousand snakes underneath the house or something. It's just so gross. They had to walk away from it. They're like, we can't live here anymore. But in that instance, their agent said, oh, just go ahead and sign it. Just sign the release. Like, I think their agent kind of misled them, but they signed the release. They, they didn't have to sign the release. They signed the release, so they have no recourse. Okay. With the spider house, it was, I think the house was built on top of a spider hibernation space. Um, they, this is still, litigation is still ongoing with this one. Um, the people who were leaving did not disclose. The people who moved in, they're like, there's spiders everywhere. They went in and... They counted spiders. It was like 6,000 spiders, but it was during the winter when spiders aren't very active. And I was, they were brown recluse spiders. It's not even like your daddy long legs. It's these poisonous spiders. And the people had to leave. They have, they're suing their insurance company. They're suing the people. And it's just a giant mess. Now, if the people selling would have said, hey, there's a thousand spiders in here, they would not have bought the house. But if they would have bought the house, then they have no recourse for the other people. It's a really awful situation. I feel really bad for them. 
Um, and I mean, that's it was like a six hundred thousand dollar house or something. Like they're they're out a lot of money. It's not just you know a hundred thousand dollars, which is still a lot of money. I mean, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. it's not a hundred thousand dollars, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that's you know that's that's a lot of money. I have a friend who has a house two doors down from me. It flooded every time there was a drop of rain, like massive flooding. They had, but they bought it in foreclosure. They couldn't, you know, sue the bank or whatever. They put in a, a drain system and have not had water since. It was a very heavy duty drain system. They've got three massive sump pumps. Um, and now they're thinking about selling. And I said, you need to disclose this because when you disclose, I had this done, I had it done three years ago. I have not had any water since. If they get water in the future, they can't come back and say, oh, well, you never told us. So it really does help you and covers your butt if you disclose and, you know, you, you don't want to be sued. No, that's well said. Now, um, just a Quick question from that. Now, let's say, you know, you have an agent and not all agents are created equal and they're, you know, guiding the buyer and maybe they're doing it for their own self-interest and they're, yeah, you really don't have to disclose that. Now, is there any recourse for the homeowner to say, hey, my agent pushed me on this or is it more on, you know, buyer beware? Um, so buyer beware to a certain point. Yep. Uh, in, in the case of a material defect, I believe all 50 states have the requirement that you, you disclose any material defects. And that's um, a, a good rule of thumb is a material defect costs a lot of money to repair. Like the roof leaks, well, that's gonna cost money to repair. Um, you know, I got a hole in a window, that's not really a material defect, you fix the window and you're done. Um, so a material defect, a broken foundation, mold, uh, water in the basement, significant water in the basement, um, you know, that kind of thing, you need to disclose. You as the seller need to disclose this to the buyer. And if your agent tells you, oh, you don't need to disclose that, you need a new agent. Well because said. ultimately you are responsible. Yeah, your agent you know, may or may not, they can say whatever they want later down the road. This is your house and you need to be able to sleep at night and you, you wouldn't want somebody doing it to you. Of course. Yeah. And I think you did a great job of that. You know, chapter 12, interviewing real estate agents, you put a lot of great tips in there. And and you talked about how there's a low barrier to entry as an agent. Um, you know, how do we find the best agent for our needs? Ask questions, ask for referrals and keep asking questions until you get the answer that you want or until you decide, hey, this person is not for me. You know, there are real estate agents, and I don't think that there are real estate agents out there who are you know, actively trying to mislead people, but there are real estate agents out there who are maybe not know, knowledgeable of the laws or you know, maybe, I think that's really a big one is that they just don't know. But yeah. you know, I have a question for my agent. I can't ever get in touch with them. That might not be the agent for you, especially if you're nervous about selling your house or buying your house or whatever. Um, what are the biggest things that I recommend is asking your agent how they like to communicate. If you are an older person and you don't want to text, having an agent who prefers to text isn't the best agent for you. You want somebody who will pick up the phone and call you. Most importantly, you want somebody who picks up the phone when you call. Uh, that's my number one tip for any real estate agent out there listening. You want business, you want to you want to stand out above everybody else, answer your phone when it rings. Well said. And you've got, you know, if you've got a cell phone, it has the number right there. You don't need to let it go to voicemail and let them leave a message. Answer your phone. A thousand percent of agents don't answer their phone when you call them. They let it go to voicemail or call you back or not. You know, answer your phone. Yep. And that's great. I mean, you just went over some of the best questions for your agent, you know, communication, um, really trying to find someone who, who can fit your needs. Um, so let's say you're talking to a new agent yourself, perhaps when you just, you know, got in, what advice would you offer, you know, just starting on the business, just taking, you know, a 12 week course, passing your tests and just getting thrown right into the mix? Uh, well, I'm assuming that you have already discovered, uh, which agency you want to work for and you now have, have a job there. Um, pick the brain of anybody that will talk to you after, of course, answering your phone, uh, take the best sales agent out to lunch. What can I do for you? How can I help you? 
Uh, can I host open houses for you? There's a surprising number of people that go to open houses, have never spoken to a real estate agent. Um, so you're sitting there as an agent at the open house. Somebody comes in. Oh, do you have an agent? No, we're just starting to look. Well, here, let me help you out. I can set you up with listings. I can show you houses. Oh, that'd be great. You know, just talk to people. Um, number two, it's actually my number one tip. No, I guess it is my number two tip after answering <laughs> your phone. Uh, get a name tag that says like Bob Jones, real estate agent and wear it everywhere because nobody is going to walk up to you and say, hey, do you know any real estate agents? But they'll notice your name tag because you always notice somebody wearing a name tag. You're like, oh, real estate agent. Oh, hey, I was thinking about selling my house or hey, I'm thinking about looking for a house or my friend needs an agent or, you know, whatever. Nobody is going to ask you what you do, but they'll talk to you when they see the agent sign on your chest. Wear it all the time. There you go. Put it Even on to the, the grocery store? Even to the grocery store, especially to the grocery store. <laughs> there's a lot of people there that need to sell their house. Wear it all go. the time. It's like your watch. Don't leave home without it. That's very important. Oh, I mean, yep. Yeah, so yeah. American those, Express. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, those are great tips. I mean, just starting out, I mean, leads are, you know, probably everything and and it's just a numbers game. The, the same thing with offers. The more throw out, the more you're gonna get back. Now, moving on to listing options, pros and cons, you know, for for sale by owner, flat fee, and then, you know, using an agent. Okay, so I have sold two houses FSBO, and they are a bit of work. So if you're not comfortable talking to people, if you're not comfortable negotiating the price of your house, if you're not comfortable with all of that, then that's just not the option for you. If you need to sell quickly, that may not be the option for you. So if you have that cross-country move and you have a timeline that you have to be in San Francisco, maybe selling your house in Connecticut FSBO in the middle of winter is not the best option. Um, if you've got a super hot market, FSBO is great. Throw it on the list, throw it up and see what happens. Um, there are statistics that say, and I don't have those statistics right in front of me, but houses sell for lower than the uh, regular, like than the going average. Um, when they sell FSBO and it typically takes longer to sell FSBO. Um, so again, if you need a really quick sale, it's not the best option in most cases. If you are just sick of your kitchen and you're not sure where you want to move, you're not sure what you want to do, throw it up on FSBO and see what happens. Because if you do get a really great offer, that's awesome. And if you don't, you haven't started uh, collecting days on market, which is the amount of time that the property has been listed um, and the days on market starts as soon as you list it on the MLS, the multiple listing service. So in a market where typically houses sit for about 30, 60, 90 days and yours is sitting for 90, 120, 250, it starts to look like something's wrong with your house. If you threw it up on FSBO and it's just sitting there for 20, 30, 60, 90 days, it doesn't count as those days on market because it's not on the MLS. So that's a good way to test the market if you're not quite sure if you want to sell it or you don't know how much it should be listed for. Um, you list it high and see what happens. I don't recommend listing it high and seeing what happens unless you're doing it FSBO and you don't have an urgent need to sell. Uh, the flat fee MLS, I've sold this way too and it's a, like, it's a step above FSBO where you have an agent who lists it for you for one flat fee, $500, $1,000, something like that. And then they don't really do anything to help you with the sale. They put it on the MLS and then they step, step away. So you're doing all the showings. You are uh, negotiating the price, maybe through them where you will say, no, I don't want this. You know, the, the agent will make an offer to them and they pass it along to you, but they're not really giving you advice or representing you. Um, so it's it's a step above and it gets it seen by the MLS, which is where everybody's buying pretty much. Um, and then a full service agent, if you have an urgent need to sell, you should go with a full service agent, in my opinion, um, because they know what the, you should. I mean, get a really good agent. Don't get a not so good agent um, <laughs> if you have yeah. if you have a really urgent need to sell. Uh, but a, a qualified agent, a, a, an experienced agent will know the market, know what you should list your house for, um, know how much, you know, repairs you should do. They can recommend things that 
you know, oh, you have to do this or it's going to cost you, you know, X amount of dollars on the offer. Or, you know what, that's okay, you can leave that. You know, in this market, things are different than other markets. Um, so, yeah, you just have to, you know, again, it goes back to, that's why I made that chapter one, the first chapter is, what is your need to sell? What is your reason for selling? Um, because that really does drive every part of the of the sale. That's really great that you're you're checking in with possible sellers and you know here are your options and I love that you're not saying hey you know I just want the listing I'm working for the commission you're here are your best options here are why and here's what I can offer and, and you kind of step back and let them choose I think that that's awesome you know that code of ethics that agents take I think that standard is very important and to uphold that 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 speaks volumes about a person. I completely agree. Not just because you're saying nice things about me, but yeah, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to help you sell your house. I don't, I don't want to do it for free. Let's be honest. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody works for, for money. Yeah. Um, but I want you to have the sale that you want. And if my services aren't really what you need, then don't use them. Don't feel obligated to use me just because, you know, you heard me on a show or you read my book and, oh, I have to use you now. Or, you know, don't feel obligated because the agent came to your house and, and you know, pitched you on their, their sales presentation. Go with the agent that best fits your needs. And sometimes that's not even an agent. Well said. Now, competitive pricing. This is very important. So how do we price our homes competitively based off comps in the area? Okay, a comp is a home that is similar to yours in a nearby location that has sold. It doesn't matter what houses are listed for. You can list your house. You actually can list your house for any number you want. You want to put your house on the market for a million dollars, even though it's worth 225 Go nuts. Your agent, I think, is silly for listing it for that price, but you can actually put it on the market at $1 million. Um, that's not a comp. What's a comp is what is a house that has already sold. So, and recently, uh, in this market, in my market, it's very, very hot. Recent is like two or three months. Because five months ago, houses were selling for a lot less than they are now. And, and a year ago, it even, doesn't even count. Mm -hmm. um, and you want a similar house. My two-bedroom, one-bath house is not going to be worth the same as a five-bedroom, four-bath house. So, and the one across the, the city in you know the gated tony community isn't going to compare to mine that's in like the middle of downtown so you want something in your immediate area you want something similar to your house and you want something that is sold because that's what the appraisers are looking at you look at these you look at this information and you say okay all of the two bedroom one bath houses in my area are selling between 200 and 225 Okay, that means you need to list between 200 and 225. Honestly, I think you should really look at what the 200s are selling for. Oh, look, they have the old cabinets and the old kitchens and the old bathrooms. The new ones have been all remodeled and they look much nicer. Oh, mine's not so nice. List towards the 200. Just because the same two-bed, one-bath house sold for 225 doesn't mean yours is worth 225. Um, and you do yourself a disservice by listing it at 225. Oh, they can always make me a lower offer. No, they're going to think that you guys are too far apart and they're going to go someplace else. So list your house at what you reasonably think that you can sell it for. Interesting. Now, in terms of photography, any pro tips? <sighs> so my husband is a really great photographer. If you are listing your house FSBO, or you are listing your house with an agent, you can walk around and take pictures. Look at, you know, if you're a good photographer, if you've got a good camera, walk around and check them out. Put them on your computer screen and see what they look like. Oh, that's blurry, that's dark, That don't use those. Oh wow, that looks really beautiful, use the pictures. If you don't want to do this, if none of your pictures turn out, if you're just a bad photographer, hire somebody to take pictures because everybody's search starts online now. And I say everybody, I think it's like 50, 60% wow. of yeah. home searches start online. And I mean, they're going to Zillow, they're going to Redfin, 
Um, they're going to realtor.com, which all pulled directly from the MLS. So the pictures you put on the MLS are the pictures that everybody's seeing. And if nobody can see your house, if you've got this you know, tiny little picture taken from three doors down, that's a bad picture. You want people, you want people to, to see your house and say, I want to see that house or say, I don't want to see that house. This is something that I really feel that I differ from a lot of other agents. Oh, we want to get as many people through the door. No, you want to get as few people through the door as possible. You want people who want to see your house. So the pictures that you're taking should be an accurate representation of your house. They're not buying the house online. They're buying the house that they see in person. So when you make your little tiny bedrooms look like these giant, amazing, spacious spaces, and then they come in and they're like, wait, what is this? This is not this is not what was on the picture. I'm leaving. Well, then you had to get the house already. You had to leave the house for the showing. You had to do all these things. You want people who want to buy your house in your house, looking at your house. That's amazing. Cause you think most people would just market it, put it the best in light and you know, and you want it to look nice, but you want it to look accurate. Well said now in terms of, you know, you talked about preparing your home for showings. Um, you talked about the challenge of selling condos. Um, so let's go into condos. What are some challenges that a seller might run into? So if you have a condo in a building that is non-warrantable, that means that FHA will not put a loan, will, will not give a loan for that condo. Um, and this is important because a lot of condos are lower priced than the surrounding single family homes. So it's a great starter house. The FHA loan is a great starter loan. So people can't get a starter loan for their starter house. They're going to go to a, a warrantable building. Um, what makes a condo, that's a kind of a scary term, a non-warrantable building. Typically, a condo is considered warrantable if no single entity owns more than 10% of the units in the project, at least 51% of the units are owner-occupied, and fewer than 15% of the units are in arrears with their association dues, and the HOA is not named in any lawsuits. So it's not, it's not as scary as it sounds, but if you have some condo buildings in Florida in particular... Uh, the the market kind of fell out in 2007, 2008, and uh, investors were able to snap up those condos because they wanted anybody to be in there and paying their dues. And um, so you have a lot of buildings that are more than 49% non-owner occupied. Um, that's usually the biggest reason that a condo building isn't warrantable. Um, so that's a big problem is that people can't get a loan to buy your your property. And a lot of times if it's unwarrantable, uh, you can't get a conventional loan for it either. Um, oh, really? It's, so you have people that are paying cash. So if you're paying cash, then you are, um, you're, you're typically, you know, your buyer pool shrinks and then yeah. so does your offer. Which makes it tough to sell your home. Yes, yeah. it makes it tough to sell your home. Now, the dreaded contingency, so inspection, appraisal, mortgage. Uh, before we move to selling our home in the interview, what are some inspection clauses that you look out for? Uh, so I like a short inspection time. As, as When I am representing the seller, I don't want the buyer to come in and say, oh, I want a 30-day window to inspect the house. It's not that I'm trying to hide anything. It's that that is one of the biggest reasons why houses fall out of contract. I don't want to take it off the market for 30 days only to have it fall out due to, you know, oh, it needs a new roof. Well, I don't want to deal with that. I'm canceling my contract. Um, basically, the inspection is the out. The pretty much anything goes. You don't have to have any particular reason. You can just say, I had the home inspected. I don't want to continue with the contract. Please let me out of my deal and return my earnest money. Uh, and there's you want that to be a shorter window, like five or seven days. Um, that is that is a really big one. Uh, the mortgage in the mortgage appraisal or the mortgage contingency is not such a big deal. Most people are buying a house with a mortgage. The house has to appraise for the offer price or more, or the mortgage company will not write a mortgage for the property. Um, and then the appraisal contingency. So, uh, what I have seen is that people will make an offer 
the house is listed for 225. They will make an offer for 275. Ooh, I didn't know I could get that much for my house. That's amazing. I'll accept that offer. And they have an appraisal contingency. Well, it doesn't appraise for 275 because it isn't worth 275. It appraises for 225 or 227 or you know whatever it does. Now you as the seller have the option of reducing the price down to 227 or whatever it appraises for or losing the contract. Well, the appraisal comes at the very end of the uh, the sales process. So having an appraisal or having a such a high offer is actually not the best choice for you as the home seller. Um, and if somebody does this to you, you can counter with, I will accept your offer of 275, but the house only has to appraise for what I listed it at, which is 225. You, if it, you know, if it doesn't appraise, then you're just going to have to bring that cash for closing. You can't get out of the property using the appraisal contingency when you've made such an outlying offer. Now, you may have had an offer for 230 that didn't have all these weird inspection contingencies or, you know, these weird, uh, these weird other things. You could have had this nicer offer and now you're, you have to bring your, your money down. You, you're bringing your sales price down because they had this, you, you know, that guy's gone now. You're now only dealing with one person. So um, that's a weird thing to look out for. It's not really an inspection contingency, though. Yeah. Sorry, I kind of <laughs> went on a tangent there. No, no, it's great. No, the amazing tips because, I mean, you, you don't really hear it that much. And, and I, you know, from my experience, most agents aren't as experienced as someone, you know, in this book. Like, it just sounds, just from reading the book, I have such a better understanding. And, you know, if I'm selling a home or even working with the agent and buying a home, I can go through this book, have the, and you put certain checklists in there, which, which I think is great to bullet point, you know, ask the right questions, make sure someone fits your needs. And, and you really do want to make the right decision because this is, this is a huge purchase or sale in your lifetime. It is. And, you know, going back to the low barrier of entry to getting your license, um, I actually did some research on this and the state of Colorado where I am licensed requires 168 hours of coursework before you can get, before you can take the test. And there are some states that require as little as 40 hours of coursework to take the test. And then, I mean, I don't really feel like the coursework that I took taught me all that much about selling a house. It taught me how to pass the test. So I can't imagine what 40 hours is teaching you. I mean, less than less than nothing because that's now they're making it dangerous because now you have a license to do, you know, to be unhelpful. <laughs> you have a license to be unhelpful. I love that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, that's <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, that those agents are bad. They just, you know, you need to learn how to be how to sell houses. And you can't learn that in 40 hours. And you can't Great. learn that in two years. Yep. Most states do have a requirement where you have to like hang your license underneath a more experienced agent. And then uh, for all the new agents out there starting out, talk to your agents, talk to your employing broker. Your uh, Every state has a different term for it, which is so stupid. We're mm -hmm. all the 50 United States. Let's have 50 United terms. <laughs> um, but talk to them, ask them questions, ask to shadow them, you know, ask to review other people's contracts and, you know, see what's out there and what's going on and, you know, just be available and learn because this is the biggest purchase that somebody else is going to make. How bad would you feel if you made a mistake? I would feel terrible if I was helping somebody, you know, buy their house and they made a huge mistake. That would just make me sad. Yeah. No, it's, it goes back to being a, a good human at the basic needs of it. And um, I hate to tell you this, but I'm a 40-hour agent, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how awesome was that That schooling? Did you feel like you were qualified to help people once you Absolutely got? Absolutely not. No, and it was just, it was it was great because, you know, I've been a huge fan of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and I, I really think that I have an associate's degree in real estate investing from just listening to the podcast. <laughs> and and, and I, I kept hearing, you know, Brandon going back and forth, should I get a license, should I not get a license? And I was, and there was a, a Groupon of all things, it was $125 for a two weekend oh course in mass. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go just for the education. And it was, it was good because you get to hear the terms that you don't necessarily hear, but in terms of teaching you to be an agent, no. That, like your book $120? alone. $120? 
yeah, it was it was a good steal. <laughs> yes, but, no, that's an excellent steal. That's but, but it's I mean, a it's a license to be dangerous. Yeah. It's a license to be very dangerous. Now look at that. Did you take the class and the course and are you actually licensed? Yep. So uh, what happens is I actually live in Connecticut and I took the course in Massachusetts and it's reciprocal in Connecticut. So I just had to pass the Massachusetts state law and the national exam, um, fill out some more paperwork and fees. And then I had to hang my license under a broker. Um, but part of my big thing is, is always education, you know, and that's why I love to read a book a week and, and continuing to, and you mentioned it perfectly, hang your license under someone, find a mentor. And that, I think that's another true way to really learn something and, and take your learning curve, you know, astronomically fast. Yeah. And you know, all the help that you give another agent, even if you're not getting paid for it, you're still learning for free. Mm. You're not paying them to teach you, you know, you go to the agent and let me sit at your open house. Let me come with you. Especially if you're a female agent, you should take somebody else with you. Um, you know, let me go with you and sit at your open house. Let me come with you on a, you know, on a sales pitch for a seller to, um, to see how you do it. Let me review the contract so I can see what they're asking and what they're offering. Let me sit in with you. You know, what can I do to help you out? And there's some agents out there that are so busy. They would love the help. They would love to take time out of their day to talk to you about this because you're interested in learning because you're also helping them. I mean, how much stuff do you do for somebody for free for no reason for not getting anything back? It's unfortunately very low. So do this for them. Oh, I'm just hanging up signs. Yeah, you're hanging up signs. And then they're going to talk to you about how they made their first deal or how they did this or, you know, give you great advice. And, you know, you learn so much from the real world. Talk to people. Definitely. And I've, I've probably said this a million times during the show, but that's that's another great tip. Like, but every every bullet point in every chapter <laughs> in the book and we'll just sum it up now. I mean, if there's anybody, you know, looking to to pick some really solid education up on how to sell your home. Um, Mindy, would you love to tell us where we can get a copy? How to Sell Your Home is available on biggerpockets.com slash sell your home or on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Great. Pretty big deal now, wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. <laughs> um, almost it. wherever books are sold. It's in Barnes & Noble and uh, we're distributed by a pretty big book distributing company. So um, it's in most every bookstore. Which is really Great. kind of exciting to walk in and like, oh, there's my book. <laughs> <laughs> you must feel so proud. I, so let's let's do a little side note. So what was it like, you know, becoming an author and writing a book? Oh my goodness, it's so easy. It just goes together, lickety split, and it's like the best thing ever. Um, no, I was. It was <laughs> to be honest. At the end, you're like scrambling to get all the little pieces done. That it was. You know, it was a little alarming at the end. Now I sit back and I'm like, oh, I'm a published author. That's that's really cool. Um, and I can't wait to write my next book, How to Buy a House. Great. No, that's awesome. Well, I just want to thank you very much for being on the show today. Um, and to our listeners, you heard where you can get a copy of the book. I definitely recommend it. It's a great book. Uh, Mindy is a very uh, well-educated investor and real estate agent. Um, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you very much, Mindy. Thank you for having me, Scott. I had a great time. Thanks. Me too. And that wraps up today's book club interview with Mindy Jensen, who wrote the book, How to Sell Your Home, which is the essential guide to a fast, stress-free, and profitable sale. She has been buying and selling homes for almost 20 years, and we were only able to touch on just a small amount of knowledge and education she has in her book. So make sure you go grab a copy. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook the book club interview and that's it for this week and we'll see you next time